Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have been going through the book of Matthew now for a few months, and we've been considering the fact that there was a Jewish man speaking to Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah. And very critical for us to understand it from that perspective. We miss many things as Gentiles if we don't um, understand what's happening here. And so we have gone through and we have seen then the, the fact that Jesus is Messiah by his lineage, by his birth. We saw his forerunner, who Isaiah also proclaimed who would come as well, the preparation of his ministry, and then the beginning of the, the proclamation of his message. And if you remember, we, he boils down his message to one word, and that is what? What's the word? Repent. Greek word is metanoia. Metanoia means change the way you think. Change the way you think. So when we think word repent, a lot of times we think of change your actions, but it's not necessary from that. If you change the way you think, you ultimately will change the way you act. But Jesus called upon the people to change the way they think. Because many people don't change their actions because they think wrongly. And so Jesus is telling them, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to think like God, not think like the world. And so that's, he goes on then through when we talk about the standard of the kingdom, and that was what we call the Sermon of the Mount. And he continues to tell them, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. So you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I say unto you, that if you call your brother Racha, empty-headed idiot, whatever, you've now committed murder. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you look at a woman to lust on her, you've committed what? Adultery. You need to change the way you think. Okay? And so he goes on to that, but the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. And so he then went into this authority phase, part of his ministry, if you would, where he revealed the truth of his authority, that his authority, his azusia, was built upon the fact that he also had the dunamis, the power, to be able to do these things. And so we saw in that, when the display of his authority, that he healed those who had physical ailments, he healed those who had psychological issues, he healed those who were spiritually attacked as well, who had demons and demon oppressed. Okay, and I'm not going to go through all that, but that's an amazing portion of scripture to consider. He then delegated his authority to his disciples and told the disciples that they would go out and they would be able to do the exact same things as he did, including raising the dead. That's an amazing thing. And so again, the challenge to you and me, and I keep bringing this up because it's really the, it's a, it's a crisis of faith thing for me. If Jesus told me to go over and to lay hands on somebody who was declared to be dead, you know, it was a car accident or whatever, and, and I felt really led that God wanted me to do that, would I do it? Or would I think, oh, God, there's nothing I can do about that. But with the power of Christ and the authority of Christ, that's what we walk in. Not in our own power, not in our own authority. And so that's important, because the next thing we come into is the doubting of his authority, and that's where we see the disciples of John the Baptist, potentially John the Baptist himself, and then those who, in the cities where he did most of his miracles, how they were doubting as well, and the, and the ramifications of the doubting that was there, where Jesus then openly declared his authority to the Jewish people, and he related it to the fact that he who was standing there was greater than the temple itself, which was a major deal, because the temple was the house of God. It was the place where God dwelt on the earth. That's what the Jewish people understood. And so to be greater than the temple itself, the only way you could do that was to be God himself. And then he declared himself to be the Lord, I think, if that was brought back into the Hebrew, 
okay? And, and not where they're, they say, so like the Jewish people need to understand they're afraid of using the name Yahweh, okay? Because that's, they don't want to misuse the name of the Lord, their God, okay? And so they don't even say then Lord anymore. They say Hashem, the name, okay? And so, um, so that's where in the Old Testament, when you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's actually the name for God, Yahweh. That's his name. He declared it. So it wouldn't be offensive to me if you said my name, Bob. When you're talking to somebody and Bob said this, Bob said that. So using Yahweh's name, I don't believe is offensive to him. If I use it without meaning, then it's offensive. If you just walked around saying Bob, 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 you know, and you weren't a beach boy, then, <laughs> okay, then, then, then the reality is then they'll be kind of offensive to me because you're using my name without Meaning it. Make sense? Okay, so this is a huge point to me. Okay, so I like, I'm okay with using God's name because he declared it to Abraham by his name. This is what he wanted to be known by. Okay, but they're afraid of that. So I think, though, that if you take this back, when we study, remember we went through all this, who was the Adonai, the Lord, if you would, the master of the Sabbath? Yahweh. Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, it was his from the beginning, all the way from Genesis chapter 2. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who created it. And so when Jesus declared that he was the Son of Man, also was the Lord, Adonai, if you would, Kyrios in the Greek, of the Shabbat, then what he was telling the Jews was, he was Yahweh. Okay, So he declared it. Immediately, that brings the, the Pharisees and the religious establishment to a crisis of decision point. Okay, they got to make a decision. What are they going to do with them? Well, they made the decision. They plotted against them. How they might anybody remember? Destroy, not just kill them. They didn't want to just kill them. They didn't just want to put them aside. They wanted to destroy him. And so immediately to destroy him, to discredit him, they immediately say that he's casting out demons by the power of. Beelzebul, or the prince of demons. And so they're basically calling him Satan himself. That, that, that this one who's claiming to be our Messiah actually is Satan, Shatan himself. He's coming to deceive us, and he's leading us astray. Think about that. That's a pretty powerful argument that's going on, okay? And if you were a Jewish person at that moment, it would cause you to what? Kind of stop, kind of think. Is it possible? Hmm, what do I do? And so what, go back to what Jesus said to John the immerser, John the Baptist, though, when his disciples came and says, are you he or do we look for another one? And Jesus responded by saying what? Tell him what you see. And including the dead are what? Being raised. Satan doesn't have this power. This is not what Satan's going to be doing. Okay? So, so his testimony is there. We switched then last week into this next phase of Jesus' earthly ministry, and that was preparing, if you would, his disciples for his departure, the instruction phase, okay? Jesus is, he knows he's only got, from the time of his ministry, he's only got at most three years that he is going to be teaching and ministering on the earth, okay? So he's preparing now his disciples for his imminent departure, okay? And so one of my heart's desire for our assembly is that you all are trained, you all are equipped, so that if I died on the way over here, or if I die even in the middle of this, hopefully it doesn't happen, that's really a bummer, you guys may clap. Anyways, but that, that someone is prepared to pick right up. That you are not left void. That you all are equipped and trained. Some of you know Greek, okay? And so that you're equipped and that you're trained to continue to teach the word of God. You don't have to go out and look for an earthly Messiah, like a lot of churches do, to come in. But if a, if a, a church is, is correct, then, then the one who's leading 
ought to be training the disciples of Jesus to be able to follow in his footsteps. I just want to challenge you with that, that thought process. That's what Jesus is doing here. And that's really my heart, okay? My heart is that we are a, a church-planting church, as we're supposed to be disciple-making disciples, that we're a church-planting church, and that we're not just a run-of-the-mill, that we're just going to be fat, dumb, and happy, sitting on the pews or chairs, as it were, right, and just soaking things in, but that we're applying it, we're learning, we're, we're, we're preparing ourselves to, to serve the Lord, to be his disciples, not Bob's, not Steve's, not David's, to be Jesus' disciples, and that you're ready to, to, wherever the field that he places you in, to be the little shepherds, if you would, in that area. And if, clearly, if at the point where I have my demise, then someone prepared is, is ready. You know, I can pick out some of you guys. But anyways, that you're ready, prepared to, to step in and to grow in his grace and knowledge and to, to feed the, the, the flock. Okay, that you're not floundering, looking out there for somebody, knowing that God has placed within our assembly everyone he has seen fit. And he's got you here for a purpose. Okay, so I really honestly believe that. And if the day comes in my lifetime, like I believe it's going to come, where persecution is going to come in this nation and that we're not meeting in a facility like this, then you and your, your little neighborhoods are going to be little shepherds also meeting with people in your homes. Okay, I think that's potential for it to happen as well. So Jesus is instructing his disciples in this mindset in that he knows he's going to leave. And when he leaves, it's on them. They're going to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, but it's still going to be on them to continue the work of the kingdom. So last week, we began looking at these parables And as we considered the parables, we saw three things about parables. And I'm not going to go through all these again. Just as a reminder to us, as we go into parables, that parables were oratorically given. They were given by by mouth, okay? They weren't meant to be broken apart and and this means this and this means that. It's it's an impact moment, okay? They're to be exegetically interpreted, which means to draw out from, not to put into it. People weren't supposed to read into it what they wanted to. They were supposed to just get hit by that word picture, and bam, and that's where it was. So they were supposed to be spiritually discerned. So if people were not looking to God for the wisdom and for the understanding of it, they wouldn't what? They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. And so they would, they would hear this parable, and they'd go, what's he talking about? Because they wouldn't get it. But if you are seeking the Lord, if you are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then when you read Jesus' parables, it ought to hit you. Bam! Oh, I get that. Now, there may be more things in there that, that he'll draw out to you in time, but the reality is the sudden impact of that thing should just slam you. Okay. So last week, we began looking at um, the parable of the soils, as it was referred to, the parable of the, the, the sower, the seed, and the soils. And, um, and that was in a greater section of the sowing of the kingdom, because these are all kingdom parables. And so today, we're going to kind of step back. I'm not going to go over this one again, but we're stepping back now. We're looking at all the parables in one shot. Okay, and so as Jesus presenting this, Jesus is presenting these things in an orderly manner. Okay, so the first one, the sower, the seed, and the soil, was about the sowing of the, the seed, the gospel, into the kingdom. Okay, and he talked about the four soils the, the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good or prepared soil. And only the final soil was the one that produced fruit, none of the others produced fruit. And so Jesus said earlier, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, that Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there are that go thereat. And narrow is the path, and straight is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that what? Few there be that find it. That's exactly right. So, so, 
So when we look at that parable, we understand Jesus is talking about the ones that are sown in the, the good soil that are producing fruit, John chapter 15. I'm not going to go into that again, but you can look at it, where Jesus declares that if you're in the vine, and the vine's in you, then you're going to produce fruit. Okay, But if you're not, then you're not going to produce fruit. And so that's just a reality. So he talks about that. And then today, as Chuck read earlier, we see the next parable, and that is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, fortunately, again, for this parable, we have Jesus' um, uh, description of it a little bit later on in 36, 36 to 43. And so first thing Jesus talks about is he talks about the sower, the farmer goes out and he sows his what? Into his field. And he were told then that the field was the world. But in the world that he was sowing the wheat. The wheat was the saints. It was the good seed. But the point about this parable, okay, is not, at this point, not just the sowing of the seed, okay, but as he's sowing the seed, okay, so a little bit different than the first parable, but as he's sowing the seed, then at nighttime, what happens? Tares. The, the devil comes. We're told it was the devil who comes. And he sows tares amongst the wheat. Now, Again, as Gentiles living in the 21st century in America, we don't get this. If you lived in an agrarian society, as you were the Jew standing there, the impact of, of this statement that he's making right now is going to hit you like a ton of bricks. Why? Because on this picture, hopefully you can see this well. I don't know if you can see from the back. Let me turn the lights off here. But in that picture, can you see it okay? Okay. In that picture, there are wheat and tares. The tares is commonly known as darnel. It's a kind of a rye. A rye wheat, okay? And so it's a poisonous wheat, okay? It's not good to eat, okay? And so um, one of those sides is wheat, and one of those sides is, is Darnell. And because of the way the pictures are, you, you can figure this one out, right? The left is wheat, yes. And on the right side is the Darnell, or the, the tear, okay? And if you look at it closely, it looks very Similar. Now, this is already starting to have fruit on it. It's green, but it's starting to have fruit on it. Before they have fruit on it, you can't even tell them apart. They look exactly the same. And even when they start to bud, they begin to look, if that was further away, they begin from a distance to look very similar. Even then, when they are at the point of harvest, they still look what? Pretty similar. The difference is, a trained eye, when you're looking at the field, when you looked at the field, the wheat would be laying over. The tear would still be straight up. Why? It's, exa- it's heavier. That's exactly right. Because of the fruit that's on it. Get it? Because the, the wheat would be very fruitful, and it would be leaning over a little bit. So the trained eye would, would know exactly what would happen. Okay, And so, so we're told then, the devil came in the nighttime, and he threw tear seed, if you would, amongst the wheat seed, and it all grew up together. In the trained eye, who were the angels, which we'll get to in a moment, right? They looked out at it, the workers, they looked out at it, and they saw it, and they said, hey, someone's messed with your field. Do you want us to go out and pull it? And Jesus said, the answer was what? No, don't do that, okay? Because if you do that, you may actually harm the wheat. It's not grown enough to be able to handle that, 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 that pulling. Okay? Different illustration than, than the other one. Don't let the previous illustration confuse this, this parable. Understand? Because we think about, we want to pull out the what? 
we want to pull the weeds. This has nothing to do with your individual life. This has everything to do with the entirety of the kingdom of God. Does it make sense? Okay? So in your own individual life, you want to pull out the what? The weeds. But this is now talking about what we would refer today as the church. Ooh. Ooh. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens today is represented in the church. So what's Jesus saying? That in the church, there's this what? There's this mixture of those who are true and those who are fake. They're not real wheat. And God's not going to be ripping them apart while we're here today. Not today, but you know what I'm talking about, in contemporary. But it's all going to wait until when? Till the end. Then the angels, the angels, specific, there's a determined angels who are going to come, and they are going to be the reapers. They're going to know the good and the bad. Okay? I like, I like to think of it like in the book of Revelation almost, that when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we had a mark placed upon us. In a sense, we actually did. What happened when you accept Jesus as your Savior? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so God put his seal upon you. So though we may not be able to see it spiritually in the spiritual realm, almost like if you had one of those black light things, you know, like you can't see something, and all of a sudden you put a black light on it. Like, wow, look, at there's a message right there. It's almost like there's a spiritual light, you know. Well, and there is a spiritual light, isn't there? And when it shines on people, it reveals whether they are true or whether they are false. It's the word dokamos in the Greek. It's the word, dokamos is the word for an assayer. And so it's, um, he's the one who would pour a little bit on the, on, the, on the gold to find out whether it was real gold or whether it was fool's gold. Remember, we have out, in, out west, there was a lot of people who had ferrous oxide. Is that my right word on that? No, ferrous oxide is rust. Um, it was iron pyrite. Iron pyrite. Ferrous pyrite, then. Um, iron pyrite, it was fool's gold. It looked like gold, but it wasn't gold. And it confused a whole lot of people, and they would pour this acid on, do the acid test, and it would prove it. It's also the, the, the guy, the jeweler with the trained eye who puts on the little monocule, and he, and he looks at the diamond. You heard about the woman who had the, the big rock, and she was just parading it all around, and it was, everybody was ooh and odd until one guy, she met this one guy, and he says, Madam, what an exquisite gem. May I take a closer look? He says, oh, but of course. And so he pulls out his monocle and he says, this is the finest specimen of a cubic zirconian I've ever seen. Some of you are sitting there, you don't get it. What's a cubic zirconian? It's a fake. Everybody had been what? Ooh and Owen, because they thought it was what? Real. But in the eyes of the, the expert, the eyes of the judge, he knew it was what? A fake. You can't fake out God. God knows whether you're wheat or whether you are tares. Make sense? And it ain't going to happen right now. It's going to happen when? In the judgment day. We'll come back to that when we get to the, uh, the dragnet at the end. The harvest, then, is the end of the age. Then we get into this expansion of the kingdom. And the first parable we see is about the mustard seed. Now, we're told that the mustard seed is what? It's the smallest of all seeds and it's planted into the earth and what happens to it it becomes huge such that that even a, the, the birds of the air come and they sit upon it oh i want to go backwards i thought i had something else there so um be very careful again reading things into it okay because there are those who are now going to interpret the birds and they're going to make the birds evil and so that the the mustard seed grew and then evil came and, and, and sat in it, okay? And so, I don't see that, okay? 
because we go into this leaven, and I'm going to talk about this right here, okay? Because this leaven, verse 33, it's one verse. Now, I mentioned this a little bit last week, and I'm going to mention it again this week. Um, but I checked myself out this week just to make sure I was right, and I was. Um, I love J. Vernon McGee. Love him to death. Can't not stand what he does to this verse. Um, and I'm going to share it because I know a lot of you may in your past have listened to J. Vernon McGee, and he's one that I would recommend that you listen to, get on the Bible bus, right? And, uh, but he's dead wrong on this one. And um, he says that the book of Matthew is the key to understanding the entire Bible. Chapter 13 is the key to understanding the book of Matthew. Verse 33 is the key to understanding chapter 13. And he says, he says, you can look this up on, on YouTube, it's even there, okay? He says, and yes, I am saying then that this verse is the key to understanding the entire Bible. That's going out on a limb, <laughs> okay? And then I disagree, totally disagree with his interpretation. Because his interpretation of the meaning of the leaven is that it's evil. But I want you to read how it's stated, okay? Look at what Jesus says. First, let's go back to the mustard seed, okay? And you can go back to each, the, in fact, you can go to the wheat and tears. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? And then he says it's like a, a field, right? And then he says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. What does he say here? The kingdom of heaven is like? Okay, so if leaven is sin and evil, then he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay? So, what he's saying is that he takes the same thing as the birds being evil and, and, and evil being put within the kingdom of God, which is okay. I understand that necessarily from the wheat and the tares. But again, I cannot take one parable, make sense, and then turn around and eisegetically read it into the next one. That's not the point. Okay? These two parables, again, are quick things. Boom, boom, boom. What do you get from the mustard seed? The mustard seed was small and it became what? Big. So big that birds were able to, you know, it wasn't a little thing because a bird wouldn't be able to land in it. So it was big enough for a bird to land in it. So what about the leaven? Well, it's like leaven, which was placed into a lump, and then when it was kneaded together, if you would, okay, then it, the whole lump was expanded. It was leavened, okay? And so you ladies that bake, you understand what happens, okay? The fact is that if, if you don't put leaven into it, then it's going to be a flat loaf. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I don't have the time, and I didn't put it on your sermon note sheets, but I have it here if you're interested in it, okay? All the times that leaven is being used, okay? Um, in, in, in throughout the Bible. And actually the word unleavened, because leavened only, he's going to tell you that leavened is used about 100 times throughout the Bible. It's really not. It's the unleavened is really used predominantly, okay? And it is predominantly used, okay, as a symbol of haste, because it's talking about Israel being brought out of Egypt, and we're specifically told in Exodus 12, verse 39, I'm going to make sure I gave it to you right, Exodus 12, verse 39, what the symbol was, that they were going to eat it because it was with haste that they came out. So actually, from that whole thing, it had nothing to do with sin, it had everything to do with haste. Now, it is used in some of the... Um, the sacrifices for the burnt offering and the sin sacrifice that they were supposed to have them without leaven. That would give you an indication that potentially it's what? Sin. However, the thank offering and the fellowship offering were supposed to be offered with leavened bread. 
So if that was the case, if it really was because it was sin, then that doesn't make sense if you're going to have a fellowship offering and a thank offering to God and you're going to give it with what? Sin. So do you get what I'm saying? Okay. So it's, it, when you sit there and say that every time the Bible says this, it means this, you're, really, you're, you're laying yourself out there. So be careful of those who spiritualize words and say every time it says this, like water, every time water appears in the Bible, it's supposed to refer to who? Holy Spirit. That's not true. I can show you many places that that's not true. Now, is it true sometimes? Yes. But you've got to be, again, spiritually what? Discerning. Okay? So be careful of reading into a passage something that's not there. Take it for what it is. Jesus, then, is talking from the, the, the mustard seed in the, the leaven, I believe, okay, this is according to Bob, referring to the effect of the leaven, that it is an expander, that when the leaven goes in there, it's going to be expanded. And so it starts out a little lump. But after you put it in the the, the oven to proof for a little bit, what happens? If you don't pull it out in time, it's what? It's all over your pan, you know? I mean, you want to wait a certain period of time so it rises, but it's not all over the place. So you can disagree with me, and that's really okay. Um, When you get to heaven, you'll find I was right. Just joking. (laughs) But but for real, okay? Um, you got to think about it. So for impact-wise, Jesus puts two of these together immediately, okay? And then he kind of comes to the side, and... um, and he talks about um, the, the, the wheat and the tares and gives them the definition, okay? And talks about them being spiritually discerned again. And then on the heels of that, okay, he comes and he gives some other parables. And these two next two parables talk about the value of the kingdom. He gives the illustration of the man who found hidden treasure, okay? So he's wandering around in the field, okay? And he finds this treasure. Note, the whole town doesn't find the treasure, the treasure's been hidden there, potentially for a long time. He just happens to be kicking around. So, we were in Israel back in '88, uh, and I was there on a study trip, and Marsha was with me, and we were in Sithopolis, which is the New Testament name for Beit Shean, the Old Testament name. And we were, if you look up on, on the web, you can see, go to Sithopolis and look at the, uh, uh, look up the, um, the synagogue. That's where we were. It's totally excavated now, and they have pictures of it and stuff. So we were sitting there looking at the zodiac that was in the middle of this synagogue. Yes, there was a zodiac in the synagogue. Amazing thing. And we're sitting there. March is not getting a grade for this, so she's just kind of looking around, not listening to Gordy uh, Franz give his, his, his teaching time. And she's kicking around, and she picks up. But I should have brought it over. I still have it. She picked up this potsherd, this, this piece of clay. And um, so when it's all over... She, come, she shows it to me, and we take it up to Gordy, because Gordy was an archaeologist. And, uh, and hey, Marsha found this thing laying over there on the side. What do we do with it? And he says, oh, man, he says, you need to find a recorder, you know, da 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 So we spent all the time. They were going up to Beit Shean, so I missed tell, the tell of Beit Shean because we're trying to find a recorder. We find a recorder, and he says, where would you find it? She tells him where she found it, and he says, we have no idea where it came from then, that clearly they were bringing it from another uh, part of the, uh, the dig and, uh, and I have no idea where it would go. He said, you just take it. So I got a pot shirt from like 50, 60 AD. It's kind of cool, okay? Anyways, Gordy was fit to be tied. He says, I find things all the time, but I got to turn it in. <laughs> he says, you're here for a couple of days, and you get to take it home. Anyways, but the point is, there were a lot of us standing there. You get it? There were even archaeologists walking past. There were workers walking past. But Marcia was just kind of piddling around, and she stumbled on it. 
kind of reminds me of Jesus' statement. Few there be that what? Find it. She was just looking for something. I was listening to somebody's teaching. Are you listening to somebody's teaching or are you looking for something? She found it. Few there be that find it. And when he found it, it was so exciting that he did what? He sold everything he owned. Everything he owned. That he could go back and buy the field. Because he needed to own the field in order to dig up the... What would most people today do? They'd dig it up and take it anyway. But he knew that that wouldn't what? That wouldn't be a righteous thing to do. That would be what? Stealing. You can't honor God by dishonoring God. Does that make sense? So he went and sold everything, everything he owned, so he could buy the field, and he could own the field that the treasure was in. So it's all about the field, right? No. It's all about the what? And how important that treasure is. And what he would go through to get that treasure. How important is the word of God to you? How important is a relationship with Jesus Christ? With the God who created the entire universe, Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Paul said, he said, all these things were added unto me. I count them as dung. The things that a maggot is on is literally what the Greek word means. I count them as dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his... Oh, I don't want that verse. I like the power of the resurrection. I really don't want the what? Fellowship of the sufferings. If by any means... uh, do it again. I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made unconformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I press for it. I want Jesus so bad. I want to know him that I'm willing to sell everything and count everything I have as dung. Is that what we really think? Are you willing to walk away from everything? Sell your house, sell your cars, leave your job if that's what God called you to do. The rich young ruler came to Jesus one day and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He says, I've done all those. I love it. I mean, again, Jesus didn't say, you liar. Anyways, he let him go. He says, well, one thing you're lacking. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in the kingdom of heaven. That ruler walked away sad because he loved his treasure more than he loved God. The true treasure is God himself. You can't serve God and mammon. You will love the one, you will despise the other. You will serve the one, you will hate the other. Which treasure are you selling your life for? He gives the next illustration about the the pearl of great price. 
There was a merchant. He's out there. He's looking for pearls. He's checking pearls out. It may be, you know, the pearl of Islam. It may be the pearl of Confucianism. It may be the pearl of Mormonism. It may be the pearl of Jehovah Witnessism. He's comparing the pearls. He's looking at pearls. But he comes across the pearl of great price. And when he sees it, he what? He knows it's the real deal. And what does he do? He sells everything he has. He sold all that he had so he could buy that one pearl. How, how, how silly. Now all he owns is a pearl. He could have had a house. He could have had a car. Well, back in those days, a chariot. He could have had all these things, but now he owns a pearl. pearl was worth it to sell everything he had. Is Jesus worth it? Is God worth it? What about the salvation of one of your friends? Is it worth it? Is it worth selling everything you have to buy that pearl? The kingdom of heaven, remember what we're talking about now, the subject of all these is the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God. How important is the kingdom of God to you? Well, the last illustration Jesus gives is the, the parable of the dragnet, talking about the composition of the kingdom, which he hinted at a little bit with the, the, the wheat and the tares, but he gets into it a little bit more now, and he gives us a little bit more details. Note right off the bat, he says that, that there were some gathered of every kind. The, the every kind here talks about the genus, is the, the Greek word, okay, which is um, where we, get, we can translate this word um, Nations, sometimes. Um, kinds, sometimes. Like we're talking about a kind of fruit or whatever. It would be genesis of, of, of fruit. But when we talk about then the kinds of people, if you would, we're talking about potentially white, black, yellow, orange, whatever. Or we could be talking about nationality. Okay, We could be talking about, if we're talking biblically, you can take the sons of Noah and you break them down into Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we know that Shemites are the Oriental-type people, including Israelites. That's where the word Semite, Semitic, comes from. So is, true Israelis originally were more Oriental than they were European. That's where the Japheths, and then the, 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 um, the ham is down toward the, the Africa, okay? And so not saying that necessarily colors and that kind of stuff, but the point is, that if you wanted to break it down, you go down to there. But you still come back to who? Noah and his wife and his three sons and... They're wise. Make sense? And you break it down, you, call, you come back to who? To Adam. Okay? But as Adam went out and as Noah went out, then people started to what? Break into kinds. God helped that out where? Tower of Babel. What kinds did they break out into? Languages. Get it? Okay? So... So what's exciting here is Jesus comes back and he uses this illustration that they throw out this dragnet and as they bring, as they drag this dragnet back in, it has what? All kinds. How fun is this? All kinds. But within the kinds, what we're going to find out is that there's what? There's good fish and there's what? Bad fish too. Okay? So this all kinds reminds me of Revelation 5, 9. Whether it's meant here or not, but for me it's kind of a, a, a neat thing to find. Okay? 
that we know that around the throne in that day, there's going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation that are going to be there proclaiming. I look forward to that day. If you never heard um, Chris Tomlin's song, um, How Great Is Our God, done in the world version, you got to listen to it. It's really kind of fun. He starts off singing in English, and then I think someone goes to Russian, and then Swahili, I think. Anyways, there's multiple, and they're all singing the same song, and it's blended together. It is so awesome. I just, I remember the first time I heard it, I almost wept, thinking, I can't imagine what it's going to be like around the throne when we're all singing the new song. Whatever that song is, whether it's what we read in Revelation or not, we're all going to be singing, we're all going to know it. And we're all going to sing it in all these languages. And it's going to blend symphonically together. And God's going to get glory. How cool is that? It's the way the church ought to be today. How I'm praying for a multicultural assembly that we reflect our community. I'm not into white churches, black churches, Korean churches. It's the church of Jesus Christ. He said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. But there were one. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to really have a church body that loves each other? Not just punching a ticket on Sundays, but they love one another from all walks of life, from all kinds. However the world wants to look at that. Anyways, sorry, that's a little Bobism going on. When it was full, so this dragnet's there and they're dragging, right? But they don't bring it in until it's what? Full. The word pleroma, okay, is that word again for the, the cup, the, the wine cup, you know, you, or water, whatever you want to put, you pour it into it. And how much can you get into it? One more drop, then, then it's right there. It's going to lip over because of the, the hydrogen bonding. It's actually going to kind of go over. And if you put one more drop in it, but that bubble effect, that's what we're talking about. That's complete. That's the picture. So when the kingdom of God is complete, when this day is fulfilled, then the net will be brought in. We are told about this in Romans 11.25, that, that Israel will be saved, all Israel will be saved, but not until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. We're told that in Luke 21.24 by Jesus himself, that this next dispensation, the stewardship that we're living in right now will end until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. So God is putting that dragnet out there. And, and there's a period of time that he's got and he's bringing people in. He's bringing people in. What part of it are you playing? He's bringing people in. He's bringing people. And when the fullness of that happens, bam! It's the end times are coming. Again, I believe it's in my lifetime. I'm not a prophet, a son of a prophet. I'm not going to go into the timings of it all. But I really do, based on, if you were here in, in Ezekiel for the Sunday school, you saw a little bit of chronologies that I have because we we're looking at some of those with Ezekiel. I'm a math major. I mean, I've just played this stuff out. I mean, it's just amazing. And if it happens according to what I think, I think if I live to a standard age, a, a ripe old age, that Jesus is coming in my lifetime. I honestly believe that. I know you're looking at me thinking, oh, he's got gray hair already. What's he thinking, you know? I'm just telling you, it's time. You look at the world. Jesus put out things that are going to be happening. Paul put out things that are going to be happening. The Old Testament has things that are going to be happening. You look at it, it's happening. This is fun days. It's not going to be soon. And if you don't know him, it may be very hard days. 
That's prophesied too. We don't like to talk about that stuff. We think as Americans we get a buy on persecution. I hope it happens that way. I don't believe it will. But that day is going to come. And Jesus says there's going to be the separation of the, the wicked from the just. We don't have time to go into Matthew 25. We'll go over there months from now when we finally get there, right? We talks about the sheep and the goats. And he separates them from one another. Just like the wheat and the tares. They're going to separate the fish. Some are fake fish. Some are real fish. Just because somebody's got a fish on their bumper doesn't mean they're a real fish. Think about that one, huh? So let me ask you, what kind of fish are you? Are you real fish? Or are you the kind of fish that you're going to throw back into the water? He ends it with this statement. Therefore, every scribe instructed or discipled, literally is what it means, concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. Paul said in Acts 20 to the elders of Ephesus, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Too many people are only focusing on the new covenant, the new testament. Jesus said, you got to have everything. you got to draw from the old as well as the, the new. If you're only focusing on the new, you're missing it. Because the new is based upon the foundation, read Ephesians chapter 3, of the old. The apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So how precious is the kingdom of heaven to you? Would you sell everything to heaven? That's really the, the greatest impact from all these to me. Every day I have to make this decision. What, am I, what, 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 am, what part of God's kingdom am I exchanging for momentary pleasure? How involved are you in serving the masters in the master's field? What kind of seed are you sowing? You're sowing seed every day. What kind of seed are you sowing? Is there then finally an eight change the way you think, metanoia, and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know, Lord, that you are coming back. And it may be very soon. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that we really believe that. And Lord, that we would desire to be a part of your work in this world. That we would be sowing the good seed. That we would be involved in producing the wheat. And expanding your kingdom for your glory. For you alone are the Holy One. In Jesus' name, amen.